What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Spotlight on Elemental Arts with your host for the evening, Eagle Death. For this week's episode, we welcome on to the show Rumble Mastering out of London. It was like doing this weird thing. It had this mean feedback, so it was weird. Oh, no, that's like, the worst. Like, you can't yeah, talk yeah, when you I can figured hear yourself. out what it was, though. Yeah, I was sitting too close to the mic, okay, so okay. Um, it was sounding <laughs> super loud. Yeah, Great to finally talk with you though in person, man. How you doing? No, you too, man. Yeah, no, all good. I um, yeah, I've got a few weeks off work, so um, so yeah, sort of just sat in the studio, cracking on. Nice, man. Are you um, are you working at like a um, at a studio doing mastering or? Well, I work at um, so I've got two jobs. So I work at a college, um, throughout the week, and then when I come home, I've got my studio set up. That's where I do all my mastering and music from. So. So yeah, it's sort of like nice. I live two lives. <laughs> yeah, man. Dude, I love your accent, man. Where are you from? <laughs> I'm from um I'm actually from Southeast London. So Oh nice. It's a place called Bromley. And um Bromley's like right next to Croydon, which is where obviously you probably heard of Scream Benga, that lot all came from. So mm-hmm. So yeah, not too far from where it all happened. Do you still live out there? No, no, at the moment I'm on um I'm in Brighton. So Brighton's like the south coast. So basically, everyone who grew up in London, um, their nearest seaside town for a day out is is Brighton down below. You guys have like a uh, a good music scene out there. Or yeah, is it's actually more like- yeah, yeah, it's really good in Brighton. Actually, um, I was actually surprised. So what I actually found is that in London, um, they they put loads of like sound restrictions on and like time restrictions too, especially with COVID. So a lot of venues in London were like closing quite early um, and were sort of limited to having their like in-house sound system. So it's actually not that good for going out for like this kind of music for like dubstep and stuff. Um, so what kind of music do you guys have out there? So yeah, in, in Brighton, I've only lived there for like a year and a half. But um, last year, last summer, they brought down so many sound systems like... Um, yeah, no, play like reggae, dub, that sort of thing. Um, and people in Brighton love that sort of thing. Um, drum, bass to some dubstep. But, um, but yeah, it was getting to the point last year where I'd have to pick between like different sound systems to choose from depending on the night. Um, and I feel like I definitely That's wouldn't tight. have that. I wish sort of... we had that, that problem here. Whereabouts are you exactly? I'm in Colorado, but I'm like almost two hours away from Denver. So there's not really much of a music scene where I live at. It's just super quiet, which is perfect for me. Because if I stayed in Denver, I would be out almost <laughs> every weekend. Okay, I'd yeah. Be broke as hell. Yeah. And I would never get any music done. <laughs> That's where the black box is, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's out in Denver. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we got we got the black box, and then we also have um, Dumb Day Sound System and Pomegranate Sound System as well. Okay. Um, which are two different locations but it's tight though because we just had like a really good sound system event here about maybe a week or two ago yeah so it was like obf iration steppers nice um, uh buka uh corn complex so it, it was tight it was, sweet. it was a sick night i really enjoyed that sweet nice man that sounds good yeah man so i know you went to school for like doing professional mastering and stuff did are you doing um live like live sound as well or are you just doing in studio recordings yeah it's actually like live sound is stuff that i've never never touched on um 
I think it's 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 in a way it's a different kind of worms really. Um I've watched people doing it and it's I've seen a few things I'm familiar with. Um but I yeah, I feel like live sound is almost like people management, you know, going up to the yeah. DJ, turning the volume down a bit as they creep up, that sort of thing. Um but no, it's it's something I would like to get a little bit more into. Um I, it's it's one of those things where I think if you stay in the box, you stay in the computer and learn how to mask, learn how to mix and do all that stuff, you can probably apply a little bit of that knowledge to, let's say if you speak to someone who's got a sound system, they'll have audio converters, they'll have amplifiers, they'll have, you know, like their different speaker setups, all that stuff you might be doing at home, you can probably mm-hmm. apply your knowledge to a bit, but um but yeah, no, I'm 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 all in the box at home in the studio. That sort of where. So is it pretty much like the the same general concept of mastering at like mastering individual tunes versus doing live audio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not a person to ask when it comes to like how to get a good sound, <laughs> good sound live. But microphones, all those things are a big part of it as well. So, um, I, I think. I don't know if it's just me, but when I'm going out, like sometimes the night is, it's either like made, you probably feel feel the same. It's either like made or like a make or break thing, whether the sound's good. Yeah. <laughs> Even Definitely. if I'm going to see like a vocalist or something, like nothing to do with sound system music, but if it's, if it's bad sound, it does affect the night, doesn't it? Now, do you, do you guys have like the same problem of like that we have here where like openers and stuff like that will be extremely quiet versus like the headliner being extremely loud you know, throughout the night. I mean, I get the whole concept of like, you don't want the openers to be as loud as, you know, the headliners. Cause it kind of gives you that excitement feeling when the headliner does come on and it's just straight bumping. Yeah. Like it, it, do you guys have that issue of where it's almost non-existent in sound. I see. Uh, I see. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I, th- I think that might be like maybe I'm speculating it might be like a festival thing rather than like a club thing because um oh but we get that in clubs really really yeah it's I, it's crazy like there'll be there'll be artists that are you know, like bass artists um stuff like for instance I went to um see Peekaboo for his 360 show yeah and um they had Digital Ethos in Dalek One yeah um and, and then one other person playing. But the volume was almost non-existent to where like you couldn't really hear the bass too much. It was just like you hear the sound, but yeah. it wasn't anything that was cranking out the club. No, like, that's mad. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um Do you- I I don't from what I've known from like clubs clubs I've been to, um, the sound system is basically cranked all night. The the div the only factor really is is if they have a sound system or not. Cause I think um a lot of venues or a lot of promoters make the mistake of like booking all the the big DJs and stuff. And they, you know, you have a basically five or six people in a DJ setup that could each be a headliner. They're all huge artists. Mm -hmm. Um, But the sound's just basic. And I think that's, that's, that's the issue. Yeah. It's not so much like the sound starts off bad and then, you know, they're only like, play the full sound for the headline it's like there literally isn't any sound to start with so i think that's that's yeah it's it's crazy uh it's kind of like that sometimes here in the states too like um they'll be big artists like like truth or or bukas and um 
and they're not playing on an actual system. They're playing on like PA systems. And exactly. Stuff, which, yeah. That music is not made for that. It's right. that's made for like house music and then whatnot. Yeah, like, yeah. I couldn't imagine being a big artist like that and then going to like expect your music to, to like thump the club and you pull up and you just see it like this PA system. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> At that point, you basically you got to like rethink your set. You've got to think like what tunes are going to translate better on the like smaller speakers now because I can't play tunes that like most of it's just 30 hertz sine waves because nothing's going to happen so <clears throat> so yeah i guess you yeah, gotta like so, on the um, spot rethink your um your like set list in it yeah so i know you've been you do like mixing and mastering as well as um doing artist work yourself yeah what uh what got you particularly into doing uh you know mixing and mastering like what made you want to go to school to learn something like that yeah yeah well actually i was actually only in school like learning music, learning how to make music. I didn't really know about mixing and mastering. So it wasn't until I was making my own tunes and I was like, why does mine sound like utter shite? Like what it doesn't even, <laughs> it wasn't even in the ballpark of other people's music. So it's actually like the, the mad frustration at how bad my stuff sounded that got me to really obsess over like the difference between A and B. And, um, yeah, I, I think I, I made the mis same mistake initially that I think lots of people do is that, um, when you're really far away from your goal, making it really complicated to get there. So I'd add like 30 plugins. I would try and like boost, like do mad boosts and using like EQs, like to add like 10 dB here and then compensating with another 10 dB in the opposite direction. Um, and I think when the penny finally dropped and I figured it out, it wasn't that there was a mad complicated set of things that I was missing. It was just like one or two really, really simple things that I was doing wrong. Um, and I think it's when I figured that out, that's when I was like, well, I could do this for other people. You know, like I've been going through this, through these issues for years and I've like, I figured out how to get in the right ballpark. Um, mm -hmm. Like maybe I could do this for other people too. Cause I would have loved if someone could have done it for me earlier on <clears throat> but yeah and then i just started basically doing it for free um i really wasn't good to start with and i'm still learning now but like i didn't feel like i could charge anyone at all for sure so i was just sort of hopping on facebook begging djs like send me your pre-masters um and they would sort of give me their feedback and i would like go from there and try and learn so I know you were saying that you were doing, you know, free mastering stuff, which is like super important, especially in the beginning. So you can just get your feet wet. Yeah. Were you um, only doing like bass music or were you also reaching out to other genres like rock and pop just to, you know, learn the differences between <clears throat> mastering um, the different styles? Yeah. Well, this, this is the thing, like I probably would have liked to, but I think you find that I, I got into it through making a certain type of music. So all of my mates, all of my contacts made the same kind of music. Those are the people who mm -hmm. have got friendly enough to, for them to trust me with their music. So no, it was definitely just like bassy, bass music. Um, is that something that you plan to do in the future? Is, is uh, start mastering, you know, other genres outside of bass music? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm literally always, always open to it. So if someone had sent me that, like some rock music and a rock album like three or four years ago, I would have happily mastered it and it's the same thing today. Um, 
I think what what sort of happens is you you sort of build up traction like a triangle, like you start off in a really niche genre, and like one day someone will start sending you like house music, and then you sort of like more house people will hear that and say, "Oh, my tune's mastered by him." So you sort of like triangulate out as it goes. Um, but yeah, I haven't really reached the realms of like rock and acoustic music so much. But I'd definitely be open so to like, it. So like outside of like the bass music uh, mastering and stuff, do you feel that there is a big difference between mastering like bass music and house music? Um, I don't actually think so. No, not, not, not too much. Um, I think... If you if you're looking at music instead of thinking about like instruments and thinking about like sub bass versus vocals, where obviously in house music you're going to have a very different makeup compared to like dubstep or drum and bass. Um, but if you start looking at music as in like where's the excitement, where's the focus, um, what roles do the frequencies play, um, and and you're not really that's not really different for dubstep as it is for house. Um, it's different track to track, really. So, um, so yeah, if you think of, of music as like a... Yeah, as, as rather where the excitement is, where the focus is, and really trying to bring the life out of music, then I don't think it matters as much whether it's like dubstep or house or garage. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think maybe this is where like people think that mastering is like mad complicated or it's really like there's loads of like secrets and stuff to it. But I think when you do it right, it's actually really simple. And it might literally be the point of like, like we spoke the other day, needs a bit more mids, you know, the hi-hats are a bit too forward. So tuck them in a bit. Yeah. Just like edits. Yeah. Literally like one DB. And then when you do a few like one DB things, right. Then your whole track just sounds like it sits properly. Yeah, with all like the the information online nowadays, do you do you feel that people actually need to go to school to learn mastering, or do you feel like uh, it's something that you can actually learn online nowadays? Like myself, I'm I'm personally self taught. Like, uh, yeah, I'm 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 a struggling artist. I can't afford to go, <laughs> go to, to to school to do it. Yeah, as much yeah. as I would love to do it, <clears throat> but recently I've signed up to um, Seth Drake's. Um, Masterclass on okay. you know mixing and mastering, which is Wait. about I think 165 hours of, wow. of lessons. Cheaper. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah, I think it's about 50 lessons, and they're all about like an hour to two hours long. Mad, yeah, um, yeah. What website but, is that on? Um, I can actually send it to you. It's it's the Art Institute. It's four dollars okay. a month. Oh, sweet. It, it, yeah, and he's actually going to make it free here soon because he he just wants to get the information out of you know letting people know like how to you know make better mixes how to make better masters make your music translate better yeah. you know and which is super important because there's a lot of people that make really great music but their mass i mean their mixes just suck like, yeah it, yeah it just say there's a lot of things just bleeding through and things fighting for space and i think it's really important that you know people kind of give that information out because i mean mastering and mixing isn't really a I mean, yes, it is an industry secret, but at the same time, you want people to, you know, sound better. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think um, every artist needs to be treated differently. 
And there's going to be some artists where, like you say, that they've got the tune making like on point. They're making bangers. They're making tunes that people really want to hear, to listen to, to have played in mixes and clubs. But the thing they need to maybe improve on is their mix downs. You know, like they they would go a lot further if they improved their mix downs. But other artists don't need to focus on that at all. Maybe I fall into this like category where. I get so caught up in the mix down or in like think about how things sound that I barely get past the I, the thought of making a good good like idea, a good sound, a no, good that's, like that's bullshit, man. Your book. tunes are amazing. <laughs> don't don't don't, un, don't undersell yourself. Like your your tunes are definitely some of the best tunes within the one forty scene. Thank you you, thank you. you you just don't put up enough tunes. <laughs> that's the thing. Like you say my tunes, I've got like four. So like <laughs> so so yeah, man, like for publicly yeah exactly yeah like four million <laughs> on my hard drive like mixed down version like 38 but you know um so yeah i think different people need different things and i wouldn't push this idea that mix downs are really really important because for some people the mix downs are good enough and it's more important for them to focus on like how to up their creativity how to get as many tunes out there as possible um mm-hmm to release their music, how to like make your music heard rather than just like living on your own USB and no one else's kind of thing. So see, I'd, I'd also be careful about how much importance I give to mix downs and mastering and all that stuff. Um, I know some people survive very well spending like a few hours on each tune and then passing it off to a mixing engineer and then passing it off to a mastering engineer for them to worry about. And that's how they work. And I think, for some people, that's a good idea. Just like let someone else worry about it, and you can just worry about the creativity part of it. Yeah, because the general public doesn't really, you know, care about how good your mix or your master is. They just care if the tune is good itself. Exactly. Yeah, but also, yeah, you obviously don't want to let that get in the way. If your mix sound gets in the way of someone enjoying it, then obviously that's an issue. Yeah. It? Then, then, then you have a problem. Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have like a specific like mastering chain or, or anything like that do you feel like there's any um specific you know plugins or anything like that that are really more important than the other like uh <coughs> i know like limiters and compressors and you know clippers can be um an important thing you know eqs and stuff like that but do you feel like there's anything that's of importance uh when you're working on music that's the, yeah that's that's good so so as far as a mastering chain, um, you have to like first realize what what's meant by mastering chain. So like, you might have a set number, like five or six EQs that you know how to work them. That I like, I know the sound of them well. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to use all of them engaged on every tune. So what you might find is that sometimes a tune will be really like quite full and characterful in sound. And that if you add like an analog EQ, you're going to add a bit too much sound to it. So like a digital EQ is better just for adding like a quite a almost inaudible sound to it. Other tracks you get sound really quite like cold and clammy and just that like digital deadness to them. So adding like an, a digital EQ to them um, wouldn't be right. So it's like you need more like colorful analog EQs. Um, as for actually specifics, I would say Plugin Alliance. Um, I've got their subscription where you just get all of their stuff and they release stuff quite regularly, which is good fun. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've recently got. I really like the, that they have the black box H uh, HG two on there. As yeah, well. that's a great uh, saturation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. People rate that really highly. I personally, I've tried to use it so many times, and um, I just haven't found maybe like one in every hundred tracks. I haven't found the right use for it in terms of mastering. But I could see for like mixing, <laughs> like maybe if you had had it on your mix bus, add in some brightness, add in some color. And you're like mixing into it. I think that'd be quite quite nice. But yeah, um, there's SPL PQ that's been released recently on Plugin Alliance. Um, use a MuseQ by Alicia. That's also a nice one. These are like analog things. Um, Amec EQ two thousand or whatever it's called. Lots of like yeah, lots of like analog EQs. Very very nice. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of other things, I like the Fab Filter bundle. Don't know if you have any of those, but their EQ is oh, really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really good stuff, like really clean. Um, I just love the interface of it. Like the UI on it is just beautiful. It's really clear. And it's, it's just so, yeah. E- yeah, and it's so easy to read, which is, which is super important. Yeah, exactly. Um, the multiband EQ, really handy for mastering. Um, See, I've, I've, I think with like compression and mastering, like it it very very rarely um, sounds right just whacking on a bus compressor on a track. You'll often find that it will like close in on frequencies. So if you put a compressor over the whole track, the highs often sound like squished down into the mix. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine like your track in front of you with everything sort of like reaching out and sitting above the mix and like having like a nice image. A compressor can often like make things sound a bit more squeezed like that. So, um, yeah, multiband's really good because you can sort of just compress frequencies that need it, like low end, maybe like the low mids. It's really good for just like holding those down and letting the heart. So, are you using it more for like the the multiband compressor? Or are you using it more to like level out the kicks in the in the bass within the mix? Yeah, I mean, it track to track whatever it needs. So, um. So yeah, often low mids is um, is something that I found multiband compression really handy for. So if you've got your low mids poking out of the mix too much, if you just EQ them out, I find it sounds like there's a hole there now. Like it sounds quite hollow and it makes the top end sound too bright. But if you use a compressor, it sort of squeezes the mids in a bit more um, and makes it a bit more chunky in the mid mid range. Um, and you don't get the same effect of having your highest sound too harsh now because the mid-range is sort of still there but just squashed um so yeah that's that's i mean another thing maybe leave it to the mastering guy not to not to just scoop out your mids all the time it's also not yeah. going to work but it's, it's just one of those things that like one db of compression in that area normally sounds good um yeah and another thing that i think people way overlook is expansion so um, I know there's some like all-in-one plugins that Isotope does. I forgot what it's called, but it's a lot like a multi-band expander. Are you talking about the uh, like uh, what is it? Uh, the whitener for for ozone? No, for like speaking of that though, do you feel that it's really needed to use uh, like the ozone uh, whiteners and stuff like that? Like me personally, I feel like when you do use the imager for for ozone, it kind yeah. of 
screen like introduces phasing issues yeah so yeah do you use more of like an eq to do whitening or do you use like plugins um outside of that to be honest i found that basically every plugin that has a wideness knob or control i've i found that most of the time it sounds like crap like you say um <laughs> and the phasing is is mostly like part of it and and this is a real shame because you were talking about education earlier and i think um the fact that there's these like, online schools where you just pay a fiver a month and you have access to all of these like very knowledgeable people i think that's where you should be because there's so many so much misinformation and just bad tutorials like there's so much bad learning you could do on the internet um one of my like pet peeves is is that exact thing we're like right we're gonna master this track and they just pull up ozone and they add like a little bit of wideness on every band and then like a little bit of eq on like every band like loads of tops loads of bass and they do the a b comparison like see it sounds better right because it just it just seems like there's more, but it's not better. Like everything's sort of been smeared and like has now fallen apart. Um, all of the drums where they'd be like really concise and down the middle and exact, like all in phase now just sound mushed and smeared with all the other instruments. So, um, see, so yeah, I know width, I would do tiny bit of EQ mid side. Um, if anything, I think adding a nice bit of top end with on the sides is a great way to just sort of give that perception of more side image. Um, but yeah, no, also in the mid range, I think um, when people throw their effects on their reverb and their delays and throw them to the side, we like to do a lot of like high passing on those effects. So actually mm-hmm. the side image can actually sound quite thin. So it could be a case of sometimes adding a little bit of like 800 or like 400 to the sides to really like thicken them up and add more tone. Um, so yeah, no, I, I would say that's a better way of doing mid-side processing just with a little bit of EQ. So I know earlier you were speaking about the SPL um, through Plugin Alliance. Do you have a, a SPL meter for your for your studio? Yeah, um, no, I, I, that's actually something that I really want. So I've, up to this point, sort of just used one on my iPhone. That's like a rough... That's what I did for my studio too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sort of like rough ballpark area. But um, but no, I always monitor fairly low, around, it's probably more like around 80. That's something I'm quite conscious of because, yeah, if, if we creep the volume up, um, we never actually know... Um, how we're hearing i'm sure you're you're uh, well aware of this what what kind of speakers are you using nowadays you're using the focals right yeah yeah see if i can um can i flip the screen i have to see not sure i can flip the screen let me turn my phone one sec see (laughs) these are focal solos um and uh i've got a subwoofer down here that's actually some nice treatment in the bag jeez yeah yeah so this is you um you put a post up on facebook recently didn't you about the acoustic treatment yeah yeah Yeah. i want to upgrade it here eventually because i i recently bought a house a couple months ago um so you know i have all my my stuff from you know the old place but i feel like now since i have my own space and everything i can kind of upgrade a little bit more like i can put foam on the ceilings and you know do a whole uh 
do my my base traps all the way up the wall just versus halfway up the wall nice so yeah so i do want to upgrade like i'm i have right now i have the atom a77x's sweet um and then i do have a sub as well too um as well as the sub pack but i only use the sub pack nowadays if i'm doing like mixing and stuff just so i can make sure my low end is is actually pushing through (coughs) right Um, but i do plan on upgrading this year because i want to get the barefoot at once okay Um, okay yeah i went to a buddy studio a couple years ago and I heard him for the first time. But that room was also perfectly treated. And, the thing, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was listening to it and I was like blown away by how good the speaker sound. I was like, dude, I'm obsessing about these speakers. I want them so bad. Yeah. And I was like looking at the price and I was like, 4K for them? Okay, I'll have to just save up. Jeez. And I'll, and I'll, I'll get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing though, like they say, like different speakers for different rooms, isn't it? Like, yeah. you you know, speakers mm-hmm. could sound amazing in one room and then not really, not so great in another. So I feel, I'd like to think if I was to spend like four grand on some speakers, I'd probably demo them first. Yep. Make sure your room is properly treated because that's what they're made for. Otherwise, they're not going to sound the way you want them to sound. Yeah, yeah. But also, like, if you're, I would say general rule of thumb, if you're spending 4K on speakers, you probably want to spend 4K on acoustic treatment as well mm-hmm. do you see what i mean so um so yeah it's, it's sort of like the the three factors like your speakers your audio interface and your acoustic treatment i think don't like prioritize one way more than the other because you won't be able to appreciate the other two as much yeah because if you have a shitty interface your speakers aren't going to sound good just because of the the, the routing between yeah routing of sound that's going to go through it i mean because it's going from your interface to your speakers so if you got a shitty interface it's going to not sound so great through your speakers yeah like, exactly. i couldn't imagine having a focus right with uh with barefoots <laughs> yeah that's the thing yeah yeah um but yeah and, and like for acoustic stuff um because i was saying in the on the um, on the thread like heavy stuff matters quite a lot so the foam's good i think the foam's good because like it's so light that you can sort of put it on whatever wall you put on your ceiling quite easily, but it's only going to like attenuate the top end. So um, with you actually mastering, you know, so many artists as well as labels within, you know, the 140 scene, is there like any common issues that you've run across, you know, um, when you get tunes sent to you? Uh, That's a really good question. I'm having to think now. Yeah, well, I think um, I think maybe the most frustrating one is when you get a pre-master, and this can happen for any genre. It's really not specific to like dubstep or drum and bass or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> is when you get a pre-master and you put a limiter on it just to bring it up to like a normal volume, and it just doesn't sound. And you know the artist would agree. It just doesn't sound like it should like a finished track. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what anyone should be aiming for at least a ballpark of is that if you just turn the level up on your pre-master, it should roughly sound how you want it. So, um, so yeah, I I think that's probably the biggest issue of like pre-masters in music in general. Um, if you're not happy with how your pre-master sounds, if it doesn't sound like in the ballpark of how you want it to, 
then just don't just work on it. Just don't send it off to the mastering engineer. They won't be able to fix it for you. They won't be able to yeah. make it sound sick. Um, they'll make it be able to make yeah, it sound better. Mastering, we're not we're not fixing things. We're just trying to make it sound good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, you can only really do like one or two dB in mastering. So if if things are like really off, um, it's going to sound weird if the mastering engineer tries to adjust the mix. It's going to sound really strange and just not right at all. So, so yeah, I, th- I think maybe advice, if anything, like before you send your pre-master off to your mastering engineer, use a limiter to turn it up to like, let's say like minus eight, minus nine um, RMS or like LUFS and just play other tracks, like export it, like do a DJ mix, blend it into like some other music, some like release on your favorite labels, play your track next and see, does it just sit right? Does it not? Does it hold up? Does it not? Um, yeah, chances are it won't sound as polished and as amazing as the the label release that you like so much, but that's fine. Like the mastering engineer can do that bit, but is it even in the right ballpark? Um, mm-hmm. Something definitely to yeah check. So when like when you approach to mastering, um, do you use reference tracks or do you have like uh, any engineers out there that you personally you know look up to that you? Uh, Oh yeah, tracks off of yeah, fully. So, um, so when I'm mastering, generally, I'm I'm actually just focusing on the track. So, I think the issue is if you reference a bit too much, you can you know tracks are made of entirely different components. One track might be made of like nothing more than some drums, a bass, and some like ambient sounds. But like another track might have like a vocal like in your face, loads of pads and synths and stuff. You're not going to be able to make one sound close to the other. So you have to remember you're not there to make them sound or to make them compete exactly. You're there to, um, to yeah, make the track sound best in itself. So I guess when you're referencing, don't get lost in that. But I do have a big playlist on Tidal from, you know, mastering engineers like Bo Thomas um lewis at star delta uh jason from transition mastering the guys at metropolis mastering as well in london that's more like for the pop stuff um and streaky as well he's mastered some of my stuff in the past also does lots of like um teaching online see i just have a playlist of like well mixed and mastered stuff Mm -hmm. that when i go into the studio in the morning i'll like listen through it tunes I've heard hundreds of times like sick to death of but I just know where they should sit and that's a process of sort of getting my ears ready for the day getting like tuned when they all sound right to me then I know I'm right to go ahead with mastering um and then when I'm in the box mastering I'm generally just thinking about that track and how to get the best out of that track and I'm not too worried about um dick measuring i guess for lack of better words like <laughs> another track because i think yeah if you get too much into that you're just gonna you're just gonna try too hard and mash up the track and and it's gonna sound too different from how the artist intended it to so so yeah yeah like like me personally i have a um i got about i think eight different playlists on my um on my itunes yeah you know especially since itunes has you know loose leaf um audio 
And um, I have different genres though. So like, cause I want to get like, we were talking about earlier about doing, you know, pop and rock and stuff like that. I have different genres of some of the, you know, the top pop songs that are, you know, some of the best master pop songs and rock songs as well, just so I can get my ears kind of like adjusted to what, you know, it, it should sound. Cause I do want to get my hands into like doing other genres outside of just bass music. Yeah. Do you do you listen to um, the masters in like you know the car and your headphones and stuff like that before you start mastering as well too, just to get a general idea of how it's going to translate on different speakers? Yeah. Well, this this is like a really common thing for like mixing, in that if you live with a tune that you've sort of maybe been a part of recording or like laying down the beats and the stuff and the instruments, and now you're getting into the mixing phase you might do the old like car speaker tests. You might play it on a night or like on a radio show with your USB and see how it sounds on those speakers and mixes and different contexts. But in mastering, like the whole point of setting your studio up like this is so that it's, it's giving you the image of the finished track. Um, we're not really dealing with the mixing of the instruments and stuff like it's, it should already be in a fairly finished state. So these speakers, the sub and the room is everything is designed to translate as well as possible. Mm-hmm. And we're really focusing on like the itself to hear the details and stuff in a way that listening in the car won't really give you that sort of finished image as much. Um, yeah, lots, I think lots of the debates that go on in the mastering world not by pro mastering engineers, but for people who are like wanting to like to know how mastering is done is, you know, lots of questions float about, about, um, you know, do you, when you're mastering a track, will you make decisions to make sure that it sounds better on radio, for example, or that it sounds better on like ear pods and things that everyone's listening to music on. Um, but I think that really goes against what, mastering is like mastering a track should just be getting the best sound out of that track there's only one version of the best sound out of the track um yeah you shouldn't be making a track sound worse so that it doesn't sound as bad on bad speakers that doesn't make sense like you're making the track sound as good as possible um it will still sound good on small speakers like that's just how it is um so yeah, maybe. You- so what do you what do you feel is the, like the importance of that? You know, with the general public mostly listening to stuff on like earpods. Because when I see people walking around, it's probably like ninety percent of people are are listening to music on earpods nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've you know I've I've never been. I don't know what you would do to make music sound amazing on earpods because I've never put my <laughs> earpods in and gone holy shit this this tune sounds insane <laughs> yeah like, it sounds, like crap on my speakers my studio at home it sounds really shit on a sound system but for some reason on my airpods it sounds mental like this doesn't really happen does it generally i found um the music that sounds better in my home studio sounds a bit better on my earpods as well you know like it's it's just the way it is but it just sounds a bit smaller and it's like in my ear holes um so yeah, I, I, I think that's the way it is. It, equally, if your tune sounds really kind of crappy and muddy um, on your studio speakers, you'll probably be able to hear that on your earpods as well. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, um, 
yeah, I don't know how much of a difference it makes for, for mastering exactly. Maybe in the tunes that people make or like the ideas people come up with, like TikTok, I guess, is an example of that. Because a lot of people are like listening to, they'll only hear TikTok tunes on their phone. You'll never hear a TikTok yeah, tune. It's only like 30 seconds anyway. Exactly. Yeah, you'll never hear it on your studio speakers. So you're probably not going to care what it sounds like on there. So mm-hmm. I guess from like a creative musician point of view, maybe the ideas you come up with are different if you're making it for TikTok versus if you're making it for a sound system. But in terms of mastering... Do, but you, yeah, not, you also do um, digital and vinyl mastering. What, yeah. what is, what's the difference between you know, approaching the two? Because I know it is a, a big difference between doing digital mastering and vinyl mastering. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so that, that really came from some of the labels I was working with. Um, they liked the sound of like, they wanted to use me as a mastering engineer, but they also wanted it to go on vinyl. Um, and yeah, I mean, some of the music that people can make nowadays wouldn't have been able to make 30, 40 years ago with the limitations of vinyl. Um, you could maybe push quite a lot of high end, for example, or have some really cool like stereo bass effects that if I was mastering for digital, you could leave those in and say, look, that's a creative thing. Um, if you want your stereo bass, um, won't always work, but sometimes it, it would sound rubbish without it. Like the artist has put it there. Um, or just like really abrasive top end. Some people want that left in. And I think for digital mastering, that's fair. But when you're mastering for vinyl, there's physical limitations for the top end. Um, you're, the record is being cut by a physical needle, which needs to move back and forth, you know, 15, 20,000 times a second to cut those frequencies. And if it's cutting those frequencies for too long, it's literally going to overheat and distort the disc. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think when people send their music off to these like cutting plants to be sort of cut on an industrial level, um, they're putting it into the hands of people who might not put as much attention onto it as I might hear in my studio. They might just like, if the high end's too much, they might just stick on a filter, cut it out. If the bass is too stereo, cut the bass and do it in a sort of haphazard way. Um, so yeah, it was, it was sort of just to, to prepare artists who weren't really used to vinyl limitations to have their music cut properly when they send it off to the pressing plant. Yeah, I know. Um, we we still participate in unfortunately we, we still participate in the loudness war. Yeah. Um, do you like what 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 loves do you you know typically aim for you know digital and and vinyl? Yeah. Well, there's um there's so much talk about this that it's it's kind of hard for me to say like where which side of the of the war I'm on, um because there's you know there's there's loads of talk that sort of annoys me that like that you would master a track for the sake of reaching a certain level. And I think um, th- that's already an issue because then you're, you're mastering or you're mixing with your eyes, which is never going to work. I think there's, when you get sent a pre-master, what you'd often first notice is like with a dubstep or like a drum and bass tune, garage tune, for example, a pre-master doesn't sound as together. It sounds a bit open and sparse. I mean, not used to hearing club music in that way. So when you limit sounds, 
like you limit a track, you kind of give it that beefy thickness that we're just used to it. That's how we're used to it sitting. Um, some people would say something like Spotify wants you to master to minus 14 LUFS. If you go above that, then your track's going to be brought down and normalized um, for playback. And because you've limited it more, then it's going to sound like crap and blah, blah, blah. So all these people, all these sort of like amateur, like mastering people are like, yeah, minus 14 LUFS. If you go higher than that, you're stupid, blah, blah, blah. But, um, but no, no one does that. Everyone, um, all the good mastering engineers that you could name from any studio, um, master loud because it's it's just the way that it sounds. It's the way that the artist intended their music to sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the only ones that's really compressing it like that really is like uh, social media sites like TikTok and Instagram and and things like that. I mean, Spotify, it does, you know, bring it down a little bit, but it doesn't bring it down uh, enough to where it's going to affect the audio. Like yeah. for me, for instance, when I master, I always ne- uh, master at, you know, negative one dB, you know, just to uh, like compensate for that. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, no, there's lots to talk about levels, but like, um, yeah, obviously on the other end, um, talking about trying to get it as loud as possible, I think is another issue. Um, mm-hmm. Because you want your track to sound, you should be able to take the limiters off and your track should sound balanced. And that's it. At the end of the day, the limiter is just bringing it up to, like you're bringing your balanced track up to the right level. That's what the limiter is really there for. Um, things that people will so do. So you find it's very important to do uh, gain matching uh, when, you're, when you're mastering. <clears throat> um, yes and no. Uh, like that's, that's another thing that I think people maybe go a little bit overboard with is making sure that it's minus 7.1 and not minus 7 for example when they turn their EQ on and off and I think it's not really how audio works you need to be thinking about like if I add this EQ does it suddenly sound thicker does it take off that edge that I didn't like before you're just thinking about like those things if you're staring at the volume meter to see if it's like 0.1 of a dB louder and you need to worry about if you're just enjoying because of that. I think you're a bit too like, like eyes in and focused at that point. You need to just sit back and think, what what is it doing to the sound? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, don't be like decibel chasing the whole time. I think, but at the same time, when I'm mastering, I always like A and B between the original. So I'll have the the track I'm mastering on up here, the one I'm like doing the effects to here. And just below it will be the original. Um, and the original goes through the exact same limiters as the one that I'm processing. So it gets brought up to the same level. Um, so that's how I do my volume matching. Um, and I'm constantly going between the top and bottom track to see what I'm doing. Um, it's really important to like remember what the artist had, like where they were at, and to make sure that everything you've done is better and not compromising something that was in the original that you've lost. Yeah. And so I know you do like mixing and mastering for artists as well. Do you, what do you feel is the importance of like um, sending in a mix? Like when not, not outside of just sending a pre-master, I know, you know, pre-masters, there's certain things that, you know, we, 
everyone here and look for as well. But mm. outside of that, doing like STEM masters, um, what is what's something that you you know look for, and, and also uh, the importance of you know sending a uh, a mix to actually be done properly with stems. Yeah, Do you feel it's important that the artist should be in the room with you, or um, just to keep their general idea of how the the tune should sound, or you know, outside, you know, just just sending it itself. Yeah, so I'd say like with mastering, if someone just sends me their pre-master as a stereo file, um, half the time they sort of send it and don't say anything at all. They sort of just send it, do your thing. I don't know. Um, other times they might just like say, "Oh yeah." like been struggling with the low end um i want to keep it dirty or they'll just add like a little bit of like a here's what i'm going for message um when it comes to mixing uh that it had we like we have like a whole conversation about the project about what their goals are because it could be the case like where your track might change by 10 15 percent in mastering and mixing um your end product could be totally different to what went in. Um, and I need to gauge so many things like, um, do you want me to change much? Can I add my own creative effects? Um, can I replace your drums if I need to? Those sorts of things. Um, when it's a full, like a full mixing session, it's a lot more creative. In a lot of ways, it's a lot more fun. Um, and it will also consist of like me sending upwards of like 10 versions back to the person um just as like snapshots of where i'm going like oh i did the drums like just now um i've added these effects and i've added this part and cut out that part what do you think and so i'm getting them involved with the whole process as the changes are happening um not something that you do for mastering as much yeah so when you approach mixing and stuff do you look at the 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 whole track as a full or are you just kind of working on the the main stuff that is actually going to shine through the tune that's actually bringing life to the tunes versus mm. like the background stuff but um you know things that are just generally carrying things out like versus uh, like i know artists will send you know about five to maybe 80 you know um channels within a within a mix session are you breaking it down you know from that big amount to maybe like four or five, you know, different parts. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think the first thing I would do is, is all the boring, like labeling of the tracks and stuff like that, and then sorting them into groups. So if I hear, if I hear something as a percussion or like a drum, I'll put that all in the drum like section. Um, same with like pads, like musical parts, um, synths I'll put into one section and bass normally in one section. Yeah, I think that does sort of help your brain break into smaller chunks to deal with. Um, but yeah, and, and in the early stage as well, I would I would definitely see if the artists, if they have like their bounce of the song, just like a, an everything, like a stereo bounce of the, the mix that they had, like the demo mix. Um, it just helps you understand like the genre, like what what actually is this music. Um, because mix down can define genre, you know. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's just really listening to what they're going for, not just me going in with my idea and saying like this is what I think this track should be. It's going well. What what are you actually 
trying to achieve what is a genre what's the mood um and then trying to work with that so when doing things like that how how many things do you do you feel the brain can actually you know do at one time because i know it, it can't comprehend you know 40 different things at once you know you're yeah. really only comprehend like four things at one time yeah yeah i mean being aware of your limitations i think very key for doing anything to do with audio um i think as soon as you think you're sick as soon as you think you've got it nailed and it's easy and oh yeah i'll just add 15 db to that because that sounds fucking amazing on my speakers and there's no way you know as, as i think if you're listening to your reference tracks and you're like oh yeah my mix trumps all of these way more bass in my tune way more like tops in my tune it sounds so much more open if you're in that mindset i think you need to like take a step back um and assess your choices for sure um speaking of referencing mixes do you you typically bring down you know the the reference track to the same level of the track that you're mixing so that you can kind of get like more of a general idea of like like for instance when i when i do mixing and stuff sometimes i will find a really good you know popular tune that i know that goes off and try to level match the kicks first you know just to see you know how everything sounds together and then uh, you know go back and forth to make sure that the levels are the, the are actually the same okay for starting to work okay fair um i think maybe i'll be more likely to bring up the level of the track i'm working on so i won't mix into a limiter the whole time um but i'll have a limiter on the master output ready to like in bypass ready to turn on so that when I'm doing that sort of like reference against another track, I will have them like my track limited to the same level. Um, if your track's quiet and has loads of headroom to play with, and you're referencing your reference track, you just bring down a level to match it. The problem is a reference track is mastered and it's all squished into its ceiling. Whereas you've got this like big dynamic range to play with. So you're not going to have that exact same experience. Um, so yeah, this I think this is it depends how you level match. So yeah, if if your reference if your reference is a limited track, then you should limit your track as well when you level match. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Speaking of going into a limiter, do you when you produce do you produce into a limiter just to? know how it's going to sound i think yes it's it's a bad habit i think and i'm I'm trying to sort of break that habit um but yeah like yeah if you look at the whole thing i think that like when i'm producing i'm creating music um Mm -hmm. the mixing the mastering brain tries to turn off i'm just making weird sounds and i'm trying to make groovy beats and that's the thing that i'm trying to like focus on is i sort of tell myself off as soon as i put a, a limiter on and I start doing a bit of a master on the mix bus and trying to make it sound sweet and stuff. But I've only got like four bars of music. Um, I think you need to do a bit of a sanity check and think, why am I spending like an hour trying to make this sound amazing when I've barely got anything written down? So, so yeah. So what's your What's your approach to uh, to production? You know, outside of uh, mastering and, and mixing, because like I said before, like you have some of the best dubstep tunes you know actually out there in my in my personal opinion you know not not trying to not trying to blow up your ego or anything but it's it's 
it's definitely really good. I mean, uh, that show reel that you put out, you know, a couple years ago, yeah, was outrageous. <laughs> but even though none of the tracks have come out, but you know, at least we we got to hear what's going on in your studio. So, uh, what, like, how do how do you approach production? You know, outside um, separating the two. Um, I'm I, a bit chaotically. I think like uh, uh, I think maybe. Um, one thing I, I try to keep the same each time is I'll try and find like a cool sound. And sometimes the cool sound would be like, even like a hi-hat that's just got like a really cool, like reverb on it, which doesn't sound like any other hi-hat. And I think when you ha have a sound that makes you go, Oh, like literally never heard that before. What is that? then that's enough to build a tune around. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, a lot of my tunes will come out from something like that. It could be mid-bass as well. I could just be sat there on massive, like turning knobs, no idea what I'm doing, just turning stuff until something weird happens. And I'm like, that's a really strange sound. And like that might only appear like a few times in the whole tune, but it's, it's that sound that's like the hook. That's a sort of memorable like yeah that's driving the song yeah yeah that's what that song is everything else is just the same old drums the same old sub and hi-hat pattern that you put on the tune but it's that that sound which is the focus so yeah i think um yeah i'll just try and find like cool like unique sounding things yeah what DAW are you in uh logic logic okay yeah. i've tried to use logic before and i cannot get it for the life of me there's just so many extra extra steps that you have to do versus ableton yeah, that, yeah. And, and, and like i've tried it and i'm like god damn i hate this so much yeah <laughs> i don't i don't what's think, your uh preferred synth i wouldn't say like it's a logical transfer if you know ableton and ableton works for you then there's no i don't know if there's any need to go to logic but um but yeah, maybe like you could say Ableton's really laid out for like being creative and being like just quickly whacking things on and making quick adjustments. Um, mm -hmm. Logic looks a little bit more like you would import audio files maybe. And I know that some people like to maybe use like FL or Ableton and then export and do a mix down in Logic. That's something I hear sometimes as well. But um <sighs> But yeah, I've, yeah, I've just used a, the program for like almost 10 years now. So it's just what I know, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I tried to do a lot of <clears> at <throat> first because somebody gave it to me for free. And okay. I was like, I was playing around with it. I'm like, I could not get the hang of this. <laughs> as soon as I got my hands on Ableton, I was like, okay, I like this interface. It's nice and smooth. Yeah. Like I can, I can work around this real quick. Yeah. It makes you feel like nervous again, doesn't really it? Fast. Like yes, yes, yeah, like starting in a new door makes you feel like you just don't. I don't know anything now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like when I used to try to watch tutorials and stuff, me working in Ableton and people were working in like Logic or FL. Mm. I'd be watching and I'm like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, not, I yeah. <laughs> like I get the I get the general concept of what's going on, but like I can't get around the the interface because I don't know what I'm looking at. at yeah, all. yeah. <laughs> So did you like, um, did you teach yourself, um, you know, music production outside of school? I know you were saying that you went to school generally for music production. Um, yeah. 
do you feel that it is necessary you know nowadays to go to school to learn music production uh no not at all um so the only so the reason i went is i was i was a teenager and um i i did a bit of music in school and it was always like a dos subject but um but yeah when i went off we sort of pick your subjects at the end of school i know it's a bit different in america but um there's different levels and i sort of picked subjects and i heard that the people who did music production got to make dubstep and i was like mm. wait what like i want to do music so i did it next year um and obviously by then the syllabus had changed so we're making trance instead which is a bit of a you know it's a little bit different to what i wanted but um but yeah got into it that way um and yeah, I was young, so I just went all out. It wasn't just at school that I was doing it. It was when I went home. Um, I didn't have a laptop, but I stopped, like, you know, like I would nick my dad's laptop when he wasn't using it, plug it into his hi-fi. I was using like a crack version of FL Studio at the time. Um, <laughs> how to make a filthy dubstep wobble kind of thing. Um, but yeah, when I got my first laptop, I literally just sat there at home. Um, and I would just have, you know, massive, you can open as like a standalone synth. Yeah. You don't have to, have, yeah. So I would just sit there and standalone massive, making like the mentalist like sound I could make, clicking save and then start new and then just make another sound. So, um, and then, yeah, it got to the point, obviously I could just open Logic and then I'd have a whole list of like bass sounds I could kind of choose from and like go from there. Um, and yeah. I wouldn't say self-taught at all, but I think if if you're a, a young person now or if you're old or whatever and you're wanting to learn music, you don't have to go to uni. You don't have to go to college or school to learn it. Um, I was just the right sort of age where I didn't know what other subjects I would do. Um, and was that like a, a, a college curriculum or was that um, like an individual institute that you went to to learn music? Well, I sort of did both. So I did college first because, um, yeah, in the UK you do college and then uni. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, so yeah, I did college first in music tech, then went to uni. Um, it's called ACM Academy of Contemporary Music. And, uh, yeah, um, that was a very specific electronic music production course. And I thought it was wicked personally. I know it's not for everyone that not everyone um, liked studying music at college at uni, but um, no, I loved it. I was such a nerd. Showed up like every day. Um, yeah, and they they you know they taught you things like how to listen, how to like hear frequencies, um, also just how to like mash up sounds in Logic and have fun, how to use distortions, all those things. Um, so yeah, no, it's good. But I'm, I'm also aware that like, like you say, that course that you've started, that you're going to start for a five or a month. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, mixed with the masters as well. Yeah, see, I started doing everything off offline. Like when I first started making music, I um, did the uh, the Mr. Bill Tunes tutorial because uh, okay. he has a whole website and Mr. Bill is a a, a genius and in Ableton, like. He will show you everything from scratch to finish, you know, okay. which, is, which is really important in a, in a lot of tutorials, in my opinion, because for instance, like YouTube tutorials, they really only show you the general idea, like how to make a sound and, 
how to just make certain things versus artists showing you how to, you know, arrange tunes and actually finish tunes. Yeah. There's a lot of artists that know how to make good stuff, but they don't know how to finish it. Yeah. 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 Did you, um, so before you went to school and everything to like learn music production, did you have a background in music before that? Yeah, I guess so. I, um, I played the fucking recorder in school, just like every other kid does. Um, but I also like play drums. Is that mandatory that at, is, at you guys at school? It is, yeah, to play it really, really badly and as loudly as possible. What, uh, what grade is that? Well, recorder. Yeah, like that you have to learn. Oh, like what? for instance, oh, when I was oh, younger. Oh, see, we would have been like, um, probably like from five years old, five, six oh, years wow. old, we had a recorder in our mouth, yeah. So I real, yeah, I feel really bad for anyone working in schools. <laughs> uh, but yeah, played a bit of drums as well when I was like eight or nine. That didn't last too long. Um, guitar as well, did some acoustic guitar. Um, with the hopes of, yeah, I guess back in back then when I was like 13, 14, I thought I was going to be like a session guitarist. Um, yeah, yeah, very um, glad it didn't turn out that way. Wouldn't have been very good. Yeah, back in the uh, back in Michigan, it was actually mandatory for you to learn an instrument. I okay, in third grade, so we had to. Um, I learned violin back in third grade. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and then afterwards, you know, fourth and fifth grade, we had to learn a language. So fourth grade, we learned Spanish, and then fifth grade, we learned French. Fair. And uh, yeah, and what's Fair. crazy is this is a public school in the hood. Yeah, and, like private schools didn't even have this when I moved to a nicer state, which was which was pretty wild to me. Yeah, um, yeah. And I played sports growing up, so music was a whole different thing for me even though I grew up around a very musical family, like my grandma's a very famous, um, harpist. Um, okay. and, uh, yeah. And so like they tried to teach me instruments and stuff like that, but I was never really interested. You know, I, I played four different sports at one time okay. and then I got injured and like music was always a really big love to me. So it was something that I wanted to learn. Yeah. And, uh, it's like so it's in the blood. Hours, yeah, yeah. So I spent hours just you know learning it because I did <clears throat> I did DJing for about I think six years six years before I started producing. Okay. So, uh. Like um, <clears throat> do you, do you play like a lot of shows or anything? You know, out where you live at or anything? Nah, not you, at all. I'm such a hermit when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, like I'm aware that there's a lot of um a lot of work needs to go into. Um, promoting yourself, like, you know, getting mixes out there, getting in touch with promoters, local promoters and stuff. Um, that's a skill I need to exercise. But I'm all for it. I think of all the things I do in music in general, um, the most exciting... So you're more of a quiet person than a... Yeah, than for a, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. But on the, the, the most fun thing is when you get to play your tunes out to people. That's, like, the most fun of all. Like... Yeah, better than seeing that crowd reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Um, but yeah, I play on my local radio show. Um, my mate Cleary, who's called a uh, Kama, he's got a radio show, like a weekly radio show. He'll invite me down to sometimes. So yeah, I guess play on the radio. But um, 
but yeah, I want to get myself on more nights out. Now, is that is that like an uh, 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 internet radio station or is that like a local radio station? Yeah, it's like internet radio. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Do y'all have like dubstep and stuff like that on your local radio stations? Yeah. Yeah. Again, Brighton's really good for that. Um, yeah, I'll just tune into my like to a random Brighton station on um, on a weekday night and they'll be playing Deep Medi or, you know, Komodo tune. That's fire. Yeah, man, it's really good. If not that, there may be some reggae, some drum and bass. Yeah, no, it's, it. Brian's really good. Um, very lively. If you go out for like a nighttime beach walk, there'll be people sort of juggling fire, playing drum and bass and EDM. So, oh, that's yeah. that's <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. You um, so you having a previous background in like drums and guitar. And the recorder. Do yeah. you feel that? <laughs> do you feel? Um, do you know music theory? Uh, no, no. Like I think there's a big, um, a big monopoly on music theory, where um, we're sort of taught to sort of bow down to these gods of the past, kind of thing, of these like fucking Beethoven and Mozart people who are. Uh, they're like the creme de, de la creme of who we should aspire to be. Um, Funny that you say that, though. Like um, like I was saying with my grandma, how she's a harpist. It's yeah. funny when we have family dinners and we'll talk about music as I do music production and she does classical music. Yeah. My granddad would always be like, so do you know music theory? Uh, like it was like well if you don't know music theory you, do you do you actually know music it is like it's two yeah. different styles of music <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah um now it can be really hard for people to adjust to new styles of music new ways of hearing music um but but yeah i think maybe we'll find that too you know we yeah, we look at the past and we think they're not catching up, but it's it's going to be us someday as well. Yeah, you know, we're we're building like our our idea of what music is and what it how it rewards us. And I think in like forty or fifty years time, the music that's being made, um, I don't know. We have to try not to get left behind and work out how to enjoy it. Yeah, as much. Yeah, within the uh, within the EDM scene, do you feel that music theory is a necessity to actually? learn or is that something that someone could learn to make music without really learning you know any of the basics of music theory oh geez i think um if anything music theory could be a little bit of a um what do you call it like a, a hindering factor um there's there's like a big like realm of music that i'm sort of cutting myself off from by not learning proper music theory like I'm limiting myself in a lot of ways by not learning music theory properly. But um, I think if we sort of, you know, put everyone in schools and make them learn up to a certain point and then beyond that and make them really study like the history of music theory and all of the detailed like nooks and crannies of it, it's going to be really, really hard in that situation um, to have as much creativity and as much divergence if you get a group of people where some of them go really in depth music theory and some of them just start mashing buttons, you're going to get a bigger scope of creativity in music. So I think it's, I wouldn't stop people from learning music theory. I wouldn't discourage them if they're into it, but um, I wouldn't force it on someone who doesn't want to learn it either because 
um, yeah, it's not as it's not as important as just creating and like finishing something and like just making having fun. Yeah, yeah. So, but like, um, <clears throat> with you having to actually learn music in school at a young age, do you do you guys still offer that um, where you live? You know, to teach new musicians. Like I know, for instance, in the states, you know, art programs are usually the first to go when budget cuts come. Is yeah, that something yeah, that's over there as well. Yeah, it's really sad actually. Um, a lot of schools these days, like a secondary school, which would be like between the age of like eleven till sixteen or eleven to eighteen, that sort of age group, mm-hmm. um, they're actually like cutting music from the syllabus altogether in some places. Not all schools, um, which I think that is a real shame. I think that's a real shame. Um, I think they should maybe cut fucking uh, what's he called Shakespeare <laughs> more. <laughs> yeah. like, too much time. Like, obviously, English as a subject is really important, but Shakespeare is way overtaught. I think I worked in a secondary school for like a few years, and there were so many students in there that were like. English was their second language. They were quite struggling to get to grips to it, with it. And I'd spend about four hours a week learning Shakespearean English and Shakespearean poems and stuff. And I'm just like, this is pointless. So, <laughs> pointless. so unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's other things they can cut and they can reduce. I think don't take music away. Um, it's crap. Yeah. So you were saying that you were doing teaching. Were you doing uh, teaching on like um, on production or or mastering or mixing or anything like that? Well, I was working in a, in a school, but um, as like a learning assistant. So it's basically okay. where like you know like kids have like additional needs to support them in classrooms. So um, so yeah, I would have to like support kids with maths and English and things I'm clueless at. But every now and then we would get like a music lesson, and they would. They're lucky in a way because they all have logic on their computers. So by the time they're like 11, 12 years old, they're able to use like Logic Pro, um, mm-hmm. which I didn't have. But, you know, they're lucky to have that. But um, so, yeah, there were some lessons every now and then where I got to like step in and be like, right, this is where I actually know my stuff. Um, and you know what? That ties back to your music theory question. Because there were some kids, 12, 13 years old, like can barely like understand logic enough to open the piano roll and like put some notes in and they put like a drum loop in and they start just vibes in some random notes in to make a bass line or something, put like an 808 on it. And the beats are mad. They make, they make like some genuinely really good stuff. That's like, it's too chaotic and it's too random. Any music theory teacher would teach you, no, that's a wrong note or whatever but it kind of just works because they're just thinking like, they're just using their ears, putting notes there and saying, oh, that's a thing, I'm going to loop it. And it's more chaotic, but it's good shit, man. It's good shit. So with the the younger generation having more access to to things like that versus when we were younger, um, you know, Mm. basically really all electronics, do you feel like they can learn a little bit easier than a lot of adults can just because they, they have that put in front of them at such an early age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it could be. Um, cause yeah, I, I think when you're younger, you're more 
you're generally more creative, aren't you? They say you um you pick up on languages quicker. And I think yeah. maybe we just haven't found out because it's it's always the same story as like you and me, where like grew up playing instruments and then when I was a late teenager or when I was like in adulthood, I picked up production. Which, you know, for like a language or something, that'd be really late. So maybe it'd be interesting to see what would happen to like someone who's been producing music since they were five on their like dad's computer or something. You know, I think that's it's something we haven't really tested enough, have we? Like many, yeah, many when I was, uh, of playing violin since a kid or playing piano since a kid, but mm-hmm. very like few kids who have grown up producing music. Yeah, and piano gives you very good muscle memory, you know, at a, at a young age. Uh, when I was, before I moved out here, I actually used to um, build grand pianos, um, like oh, wow. scratch back in Florida. No way, man. And uh, yeah, and a lot of times there'd be a lot of younger kids coming in there. Um, they would come in and just slay the piano, like right. first time just touching it. And then, like, it would blow my mind. Like, I, I could sit here and I can build this piano, but I can't play it for shit. Yeah. But, like, these kids come in and they're just like, I'm just like mind blown by how, like, how they retain all this information, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. To actually play the piano like that. I know. Yeah, man. I think like what we're capable of versus what we do. Yeah, makes you think of all the missed opportunities, maybe. But um, do you feel like you do you wish you got into it earlier? Um, I don't know, man. I think maybe, but like I got into it early enough. But I feel like you could think this in five years' time. You could look back at this time now and think, man, I just wish I was doing more then. So mm-hmm. probably better to look at it that way. Like this is, this is the past for your future self. <laughs> so yeah, I guess don't try not to have regrets. Just do as much as you can. So do you have any like future projects or anything coming up? You know, within the uh, Rumble project. Yeah, yeah. So I've got um, I've got my label now, um, Physical Sounds just physical um and i'm oh nice when'd you start that so that was started uh start of this year um i think in february uh i did my first release um just two tunes released digitally sort of as like a just making a place where i can upload my music um you know we've got so many issues nowadays with labels and the sort of uh, the delay of like making vinyls basically of, um, of actually making records that's pushing releases back like years past mm-hmm. and they've been like ready. So, you know, I'm sure you're victim to this as well when it comes to releasing music that it just doesn't happen for years. Yeah. I had to cancel a couple of releases just cause of, um, labels were sitting on them for so long. And, um, I would keep reaching out, you know, trying to get, you know, some sort of update on when these these tunes would be released. And yeah. just be like, yeah, soon, or wouldn't hear back at all. And eventually you just end up canceling the release. And then you're yeah. sitting on the song for like five years. Jesus. Yeah, that's really Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe the way that music is these days, um, I don't know if you find this, but there's like so much good music in general. It is. That it's, it's ridiculous. That I think if you're making tunes a few years behind, you're almost not 
catching up. Or it's, you can maybe see it that those tunes have missed out on two years of life and actually like doing rounds and being heard. Or they might not represent your sound that you're, you know, doing nowadays. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Things change quickly, so, so yeah. For, for lots of reasons, I just want to have that freedom that when I've got a tune I'm happy with and I want it to be out, I don't want to have to go through almost like a job interview process of like applying to labels and waiting for responses, getting rejected, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Even when you do get accepted, you have to wait for years and wait for them to get the artwork ready and the masters and all that stuff. That um, yeah, if I just do it myself, get over and done with quicker. So when you were sending tunes out to labels, were you were you actually like reaching out to labels to um, try to get on on there, or were you just like posting tunes? Like me, for instance, I, I typically just post tunes online. Like I post a shit ton on SoundCloud just because of the simple fact that I I make so much music. I, I probably make around maybe 10, about five, 10, 15 tunes a month. Yeah. Um, just because my, my workflow is really fast. So I just post them online and a lot of times, you know, people will reach out or if I send it to an artist itself and they play it and then the label will reach out from there. Um, do you feel it's important to send stuff out to labels uh, these days or uh, also a lot of people are doing more self releases as well? Yeah. Do you, do you feel, yeah, I think where like maybe back in the day you might aspire for like a, a big like major label or whatever um, and then kind of came the age of the independent labels were just like that's sort of where it's happening. I think we might be getting closer to the period where like self-releasing music is is like more of a normal thing rather than an afterthought. Um, you know, even bigger artists are starting to do that bigger artists who have released on big labels um, sometimes put out their own stuff. Maybe for the sake of... Because you know you're going to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it's quite a shame. I, I would obviously make exceptions for, you know, labels like um, Juan Foy, for example, who put a lot of time into making more than just a download on the website you know they've got merch to go with their releases they've got really cool artwork some animations a mm-hmm. little comic strip to go with it i think that's really cool things like that um yeah juan Ferno's doing a really good job of that yeah like you you can't do that yourself you can't just you can't sit at home and put something on Bandcamp and have that same you know like something you can hold in your hand yeah um but other than that, a lot of labels are sort of just these like online presence. They might have some followers or something, but they sort of just post your tune on their website and then take 40%. And yeah, I don't know. Just not pay you. <laughs> or just not pay you. <laughs> yeah, because I've, I've had that a couple times now. Oh, like, no, no. I haven't. Yeah, yeah. I've like put up releases and like I got to basically beg the the label for me to get paid and i'm just like fuck this man i'll just i'll put the tunes up on Bandcamp myself and then you know yeah or like only work with reputable labels that i know will will pay me like yeah. nowadays i've started doing a lot of vinyl releases because of the simple fact that i know i will be paid for those vinyl releases yeah <laughs> like i don't have to worry about digital sales exactly exactly yeah yeah, but that's the thing is so we kind of we got a topic who, there. 
Yeah, no, no. But I was, I was going to say people know who those labels are. They know, like, they know which ones are the reputable ones, which ones are going to, like, take it seriously. Um, yeah. And for that reason, those labels are in really high demand. Um, so, yeah, if you can't beat them, start your own label. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, man. So back on topic, what we were speaking of before. So what, what's, um, what's in the future for, for Rumble? Um, future for Rumble. I think my future looks a lot more like um, my present because I'm happy where I am. Like, I've got a nice studio come home each day, make beats, master people's music, and that's what I like doing. So best I could hope for is that my future at least stays like this. Um, yeah. And I can keep So it, you're gonna be yeah. using the are you gonna be using the label more for um your general releases or are you gonna also be shooting to um release other people's labels, I mean other people's music as well? Hundred uh, percent my own stuff at the moment. Okay. I, I don't know if it would like pick up traction. Um, it would have to pick up a lot of traction, I think. And then if people would show interest, then I'd be open for it sort of thing. But um, it's like you say, I'd want to be able to do it properly before I did that. Um, mm-hmm. Make sure they're paid. Make sure we can do like a nice vinyl release as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not um, making it like a website with a download button and calling it a label um, unless it's just for my own tunes. Um, but yeah, no, hopefully, okay, like a real a real-time goal would be um, picking up enough traction on my label to actually do some self, self-release vinyl, some like short runs, working with like local studios, um, getting some like hand-cut vinyl and some nice artwork printed as well to stick on the front. So, don't know how far down the line that is or what release that would be, but um, but yeah, I'm definitely aiming towards it. So with you being a, uh, a mastering engineer, uh, do you, I know the general rule of thumb is, you know, don't master your own tunes. Yeah. Um, do you, do you typically work on your own stuff or do you send it off to somebody else to, you know, take care of your tunes for you? Yeah, I definitely, I don't master my own stuff um, for release. I would, I would definitely put that in the trusted hands of someone else. But um, I have put out like free downloads and things like that um, of tunes that I've mastered myself. Um, and the process for that is like you said about the car test and stuff. So when I'm like mastering my own music, so it doesn't go through anyone other than me, that's when I'll like take it to every pair of speakers within like a mile radius kind of thing and listen, make sure it does actually sound okay. Because yeah, if you're writing a beat and then you're doing like your mix down and your mastering and stuff and you've lived with that tune for so long, chances are you have no idea what it sounds like. Um, So you really need to like reference heavily, I think for that. Um, And yeah, just, just repetition. So that, but that delays it by quite a while. It can take like a month to play it out enough times and listen to it enough times and make those micro adjustments. So see, so yeah, ideally you just send it to someone else to be the second pair of ears. Now, when you do work on stuff, like you have a pretty extensive, uh, extensive client list, you know, that you, you know, work on, mm. has there been any weird requests that you've received in the past? 
Um, like mixing and mass or mixing, mastering, or anything of the sort? Weird requests. Um, I mean, the exchanges ones I often find quite interesting. Every person in any industry ever has had the sort of request of, you know, I can't pay you with money, but can I pay you with XYZ examples? <laughs> you know, people trying to like say they've got like outboard equipment. Like, can you master my tune? And I'll like, I've got this like Neve preamp. You can like send me something, I'll pass it through the preamp for you, and it will like make it sound like way, way, way better. And I'm like, mm, like I'm good. No, that's all right. Um, yeah, I've I've worked on tunes before. Thought they sounded a bit weird. Um, send them back to the artist, and they were like, "Oh, dude, I completely forgot. Like my bass was muted the whole time." So I send you like a version without the bass. I'm like, okay, like that's why it sounded weird, whatever. But um, yeah, check your check your pre masters. Make sure you're. Do you have a pet peeve of when people send you, you know, um, send you tunes to master? Pet peeve. Yeah, more of like, um, is there stuff that you kind of like look for or don't look for? Yes. When people send when people send tunes to you. Yeah. Um, do you know it's it's something that happens quite a lot with um the sort of house garage, um. Like any music where there's an offbeat hi hat, like mm-hmm. that kind of like style, the hi hat can often be like so so loud. Um, I think people don't realize how much like DSs are used in mastering to like cull the top end. That actually, um, yeah, definitely a better idea. I hear some mastering engineers say it this way: that it's best to leave on a tiny bit too much bass. And also, like, a little bit less um, top end than necessary. Because it sounds really nice to add tops in a master. If you're adding, like, your sort of, like, 8K, 10K and above sort of thing, it gives the track, like, a sense of openness and, like, sheen. And it's really nice. But if you get a track that's got too much highs, the hi-hats are, like, way too loud and it's, like, hurting your ears and you need to tame it, it's a really like, it's a really bad thing to do to the track and I hate doing it because it just sounds like you're just closing in the track. Like if you turn down the highs on the track or use a de-esser, you sort of like, like close down on it and I hate that process, that sound. Um, and with the low end, if there's not enough bass and you're adding bass in the master, you bring up all of the sort of woolly flumpy frequencies from instruments that that the um, mixer has tried to reduce so let's say you've got like a snare or like a kick or a vocal that's nicely kind of cut in the low end and is sitting where it needs to be and in the master you bring up the lows you're going to bring up the lows in the vocal in the snare everything's going to get a bit more muddy or whatever um so yeah, that's the reason why you'd want to make sure you have enough lows in your pre-master and not too much highs. So how often have you like run into um, you working on a tune and um, the tune sounds great, sounds you know perfect on your end, everything is translating very well, but you send back to the client and they're just not happy with it. Um, how how often does something like that occur or 
Um, do you go back and do like a, a a revise on it or anything of the sort? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it, it, it's mostly. So if that would happen, it's mostly like there's some sort of recognition that it sounds better, but X, Y, Z. So um, some clients have like quite uh, like technical expectations. So um, you might send one back and they're like, okay, that's, it sounds good, but I just want it a bit louder. Like they like it a bit smashed. They might have like a self-master that they've smashed to bits that they're like used to the sound of. Um, which by the way, if you have one of those and you're sending music to master and, um, definitely send them your smashed yourself master as well, because they'll get an idea of what you're listening to, what you expect. Um, yeah. Also something else that might happen. I mean, something that's happened recently, which is quite weird is being told it sounds too clean. Can you make it sound more dirty kind of thing? Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's different. So, but yeah, I, th- I think these things you've got to work out why they're saying it, and um, it's it's kind of better to to get on board with the client, I think, and mm-hmm. work out like is there some like do they have a vision that I've missed? And I tr- I think if if you're trying to like get on board with them and be like I understand you, I get what you mean, then you're giving yourself the opportunity to like level up the music even more. Yeah. Um, Speaking of how artists, you know, having a vision, do you feel it's um, primarily necessary to you know speak with the artist before and see exactly what their idea of the tune uh, should sound like on their end? Uh, I know, I know, it's going to sound different to the engineer itself, you know, because you have a specific way that it should sound and how it in how it how it actually should sound like it's right versus yeah. how the client wants it to sound. Um, do you think it's important to, you know, discuss that with the client beforehand? Yeah, I think it, it depends, um, how the client approaches you, I think. And you can tell with a client's approach, like what, what's needed. Like if, for, like, for example, if they come to you and be like, Hey man, like, um, looking to have something mastered, but like, I'm just working on the mix. Can't get it right. Um, can you listen to this? Cause I'm not sure if it's ready yet sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Do you get some people who approach you of real like uncertainty? And those are the kind of people that you might want to say, well, what is it? You're not sure if it sounds right, but what is it you're looking for? Um, so I think that's when I might like do a deep dive onto figuring out something that might be a bit more difficult to figure out what they're trying to get to. Um, other times, people who have used me for years or whatever, they send me their tunes. Um, I get to work on them. And that's kind of how it is. If there's something that sticks out, I might go back to them and say, maybe if you adjusted this, it might sound better, for example. And we have the communication that way. Um, But a lot of times with those people, we know the drill and we kind of communicate through the music. So they send me their tunes um, with a little message with it. I understand what they want. Um, And I'll send them back the music and I'll ask them, what they think generally and oh is it right yeah um (laughs) say your camera cut out there yeah went into low power mode that's why but yeah generally um it's fine generally it's cool um but yeah it's 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 always leaving it open for comment 
like I'm giving them back their work, like what, like, is everything fine? Um, Because, yeah, I just feel like we need to be, um, communicate openly. Yeah. Mm. Do you, do you plan on possibly doing uh, like in-person or private, you know, classes in the, in the near future or anything of that sort? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I've done it in the past. Um, It's not something that openly like advertise or push for. Um, and it's yeah something i would do sometimes people just dm me and they say hey man like do you think you know we could do some one-to-ones do some lessons and i would always say yeah always make time for that but it's um it's not something i'm necessarily pushed for but um it's something i enjoy a lot i love teaching i love chatting and nerding and um yeah like blabbing on for hours love that but um Maybe it's maybe it's more the case that by the time I've done my mastering for the day and done my own tunes, I don't necessarily have that much time left over to be pushing for yeah. lessons and like scheduling more things in. Do you um so do you f- have like any like advice for you know for people that want to get better mixes or or masterings like ways they can train their ears to you know hear things that most people wouldn't typically look for or hear? Yeah, I think, um, so as far as advice goes, like general broad advice, I think there's one like tried and tested, which is, um, I'd do it like not to rip off Nike, but like you just have to do it over and over and over and over for many years. I think that is the only way to get from A to B from like bad to good. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm still on that road. I'm still in that process uh, of trying to get better, obviously. Um, and yeah, I, I so something that's conscious for me is trying to make sure every day I do a lot of practice, like a lot of hours of music. Um, even if you feel like you're at a point where you get really good, if you start only doing like a few hours a week or whatever, you're either going to like digress, you're going to get worse or you're just not going to get any better. Are you? So yeah. Yeah. Put loads of loads and loads of hours into it. Um, whatever you think you need to learn, go research it and do it. Um, yeah. And also check your teacher. Cause I think it's not, I don't know if you can do much harm in the long run. You will soon realize that what you're doing and what you're learning from them isn't working. Um, but I just think you'll save your time by just like checking, are they just chatting shit? Like, uh, is this actually right? Or is it just another one of those fads that's going around that someone else is going to call out on and tell you do it the opposite? Um, yeah, I think just save yourself some time and check your teacher. Um, Hey, man. Yeah. Yeah. So before we, <clears throat> oh god my voice ended up cracking there Jesus <laughs> <Christ>. uh, <laughs> so before we end up you know ahead now or anything is there anything that you want to plug in um uh plugs plugs um nah to be honest me um i'm just vibes in doing my thing um i will always be around by the way people always ask me like oh are you available for mastering i'm like yes i'm available for mastering i always will be um from now until Where can people uh reach you at oh i'm on instagram um rumble mastering i'm 
in emails, rumble at rumblemastering.com, Facebook, Rumble Mastering, Google, Rumble Mastering. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty easy to find you. Yeah. What about what about your label? Do you uh, have you already started doing anything publicly for that so people can find uh, yeah, the label that, in the near future? Uh, physical spelt very badly so it's p-h-i-z-i-c-a-l um and that's on Bandcamp. okay nice man and when's and when's your next release that's coming up um next release will be probably in about a month i reckon month and a half um it will be a bit more of a dirty release okay yeah. nice man well anything anything else you want to say before we get out of here um Thanks for having me. Um, thank you, Mucho. Uh, yeah, fucking enjoy creating, make some dirty sounds, and have lots of fun. Peace. <laughs> awesome, man. I really appreciate you know taking the time to you know chat with me, and it's it's been really fun um, actually getting to speak with you in person for the first time. I'm no, you too, man. Knowing you for a couple years now, so I know, it's, like, it's how... nice to put a face to the name. Yeah. <laughs> no, awesome, good, brother. Well, I hope you have a, a good rest of your day, man. Yeah, you too, man. Take care. Cheers for having me. You as well. See you in a bit.